Welcome to Living Word Bible Church, a lovely place for families where we have a passion to sing great songs to Jesus and where sound Bible teaching is central in home groups and in preaching at Sunday services. Living Word Bible Church. Thank you. Uh, good morning. Um, the reading for prior to today's sermon goes back to Jonah 3. And Jonah goes to Nineveh. When the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Yvonne. Good job. Thank you, Emma, and others too. Hey, well, I had to listen to Peter Hartley last week. He did a good job. Thank you uh, to Peter. And thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Yeah, apparently it was a good turnout. Well, back to Jonah. And I won't do a recap because it won't be quick. You know, when preachers say I'll do a quick recap, it's never quick. So we'll leave the recap. I'm going to go straight into Jonah 3. It's the second part. We're doing verses, just so you know where you're going, we're doing verses 1 and 2 again. I just want to make sure you heard them, you know, just in case you missed it. So we're going to do verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to move on to 3 to 4. Uh, I'll tell you a little story from my days of junior church or Friday club in the UK as well as Sunday school. There'd be churches would regularly put on midweek clubs for kids. Was that ever done here in the good old days? So Wednesday club, Friday club, I used to, I used to be sent to a Friday club when I was uh, 10 um, by my foster parents to this local Elim Pentecostal church. Uh, they, they had, it wasn't for any religious reason. It was to, get it, to give, you know, give them a break from us. I mean, who'd want a break from Montez, eh? Anyway, but what I, what I would call about it, I used, to enjoy, I used to really like going because they gave you sweets for a start. I mean, that said as able at Junior Church now, give them sweets, it works. So they used to give sweets, that always works, really it does, free sweets. Uh, but I always sensed, I, I could pick up that they really cared 
That's, that's what made an impression on me. And it's why I, I enjoyed going back time and time again. They care, and you can, you can detect when someone is genuine, someone cares for you, when it's just been done, you know, because they have to do it, or, you know, when you're just a nuisance, because you're a little squirt. You know, you know, and for Emma, for you, you know, as someone who teaches kids, I'm sure you're aware, kids can detect when you genuinely care, when you genuinely want to be with them. And it's what made me want to go back and back and again, again and again. I was eventually, I wasn't able to go. And it is a bizarre God's providence is when I was eventually converted some six years later, it was the sister church of that church in another town. And so I thought I was quite amazing that God used our little sister church in teaching me basics about Jesus. And then later I was converted in the churches up the road that had a relationship with you. But I tell you that, I want you to keep that in, in your mind for now. Here's the last two points we've had. Not a recap, just the headings. God's purposes for us, though delayed, will come to pass. And secondly, the certainty and urgency of God's mission agenda. Hey, I asked you to bring your Bibles in now. Have you got them? If you haven't, you can grab them from the back. There's lots of green ones. Just leave them before you go. We're going to try something different today. I'll only have pictures. So here, who doesn't like pictures? Okay, well, I only have pictures and some, you know, headings and stuff. Charlie will look like Charlie's on there for us. But i like us to follow. You're going to need Jonah 3. We're only doing the first four verses. But there'll be other parts too. And I may ask you to read, okay? Uh, if you don't fancy reading when I ask you, tough luck. Okay? Now, you, know, you can always just say, you know, get lost. Montez, don't ask me again. Okay? But look, let me begin. So here's today's heading. We're back to 1 and 2. And I want to just... I want to just go over it one last time, verses 1 to 2, because there's more there. And here's the point. God's loving kindness encompasses all of his creation. God's loving kindness encompasses all of his creation. That may seem obvious to you. Let me ask you, does anybody here struggle with the fact that God may love Aussies? Does anybody struggle with that? I used to. Now, does anybody here struggle with that? Hey, Katie? That God loves Aussies. You ought to struggle with that. If you... Or oh, mosquitoes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Does he love mosquitoes? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah well, that's a good one. That's a good one. We'll come back. I'll do a Katie. Uh, well, I just don't know the answer to that. Uh, and, and that relates so well to what I'm doing today, Katie. Thank you. Look, we, don't have, we want to struggle with the fact that God loves Aussies. He loves Chinese. He loves Afghanistanians. Uh, I don't know what you call someone who's from Afghanistan. Thank you. Thank you, Emma. Okay. But that's, that wasn't universal knowledge. Not to the Jews. No. It, it, for the Jews, God's love and interest was very local. You know when Jesus said, said to Nicodemus, you know, God so loved the world? That was mind-blowing stuff. And Jesus brought the mind-blowing revelation. It's up until Jesus come, it seems that the Jewish population, by and large, found reasonable reason, if you can say that, to believe that they were the centre of the world. That God only cared for them. They're the only ones with the covenant. They're the only ones who knew the scriptures. They're the only ones that God had met. And they had every reason to believe 
and probably believed that they were the center of the universe. And so when Jesus says, Nicodemus, God loves the world, it was shocking. Scandalous. I mean, you could get your head knocked off your shoulders for saying something like that. Because, because God was very localized. He was very personal to the Jewish people. And yet, when we read the Old Testament with our blinders taken off, with our, with our blinkers, you know, it's everywhere present that God cares for the world. It's, it's there. It should never have been a surprise. You know, it's, 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 it's not always that as obvious as it becomes in, in Jesus, but it's there. And, and it's that what we see in verses 1 and 2 of Jonah. And I want to show you, and you'd be saying to me too, well, where does he get that from? You should be saying, can you see 1 and 2? And, and the first question you should be asking this preacher, okay, well, where the heck are you getting that from? Where does Jonah 1 and 2 tell me that God loves people, the Ninevites? Well, look, let me take you for the verses, 1 and 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, okay, What's that already telling us about God's interest in Ninevites? Ninevites. Yeah, it's telling you, okay, whatever you think about Ninevites, it's telling you that God thinks more than you. And there's more, and, and, and it's particularly in the next bit, okay? Verse 2 Go to the great city of Nineveh. And proclaim to it the message I give you. Obviously, the fact that God wants him to go and preach a message, um, you know, it's suggesting God's interest in them. But there's, there's something else here which isn't so clear in our English language. And I'm going to call to a theologian here. To Charlie will put the text up on the screen for us, okay? The text expresses Nineveh's importance with a significant idiom that is literally translated. And this is how it could be translated, verse 2 of, of that verse. Nineveh was a great city to God. And he continues, there's a lot more. But look, and, and, and he talks about how that is the theme of the book. The Nineveh and his people are important. And, and the commentator here is arguing that actually you could, the way it's configured in the Hebrew, you could actually have retranslated it. And I think I'll do it somewhere, don't I, Charlie? Is it on the next one? Uh, uh, no, I thought I did it. It's not there. Uh, but it could be translated, go to the great city. Instead of go to the great city, go to this city. Sorry, Nineveh, Jonah, was a great city to me. Or let me just re-change the tense of that. Jonah, Nineveh is a great city to me. Go and preach to it. Jonah, Nineveh is a great city to me. Don't preach to it. That is expressing something of what God thinks about these people. To him, whatever they thought about it, and they hated the people, they hated the city, they hated what he stood for. But for God to say that to Jonah, hey Jonah, Nineveh, in my opinion, is a great city. You know, we use that kind of terminology, don't we, even now? You know, you, you may say, you know, uh, Jerry, he's a you know, I was hard-pressed on who to choose here, but there's at least Jerry. Jerry is a great guy to me. I mean, Lorraine doesn't think much of him, but he's a great guy to me. No, that's your lie. Oh, 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 is that a lie? Okay. 
Nineveh is a great city to God. Can you see the point here? He, he notices them. He cares for them. They matter to him. It's what Nicodemus learns. Jonah hasn't learned it yet. And it's going to take some, quite some time, we're going to see. But I want to suggest that whatever God does for Nineveh, it's, look, I've got these things going from my brain at the moment. It's the, the slab, okay? You know what that is, don't you? That doesn't mean anything to anybody else in any other parts of the world, does it, Katie? <laughs> but in this country, that makes some sense. Okay, you know what a slab is? It's a foundation, okay? It's a foundation. That's, that's the real term, okay? Okay. Love is the foundation of what God is doing for these people. We know that because of what he says in Nicodemus. Look at him, look, look, you know God, the God that you worship, he loves somebody other than just you. He loves them. And if Nicodemus had his brain switched on at that moment, he would have put two and two together and understood what God was so interested in Nineveh. So it's built on this. And think about God. It's, it's quite easy to imagine, it's particularly in that time, that he wouldn't have much time for everybody else. And yet, do you remember Hagar? She was the Egyptian maidservant of Sarai. Became Sarah, Abraham's wife. And you know the story. She gives him to Abraham to have a child for her. And then, then there's friction and, and she throws her out. She's in the desert. She's going to die there with this little lad. But God appears to her. And this is what she says in response to God appearing. It's, it's lovely and it fits in here. You are the God who... Sees me. An Egyptian outside of the promise to Abraham, seemingly. And yet, she was so stirred by this. She called him the God who sees me. I wrote this sermon. I began to write I didn't finish it until last night. But I began writing this sermon, um, you know, obviously early in the week. Wednesday... I'd just finished this particular part of the sermon. I was sitting by the pool, having a Bacardi, you know, my feet up, you know. I was sitting by the pool when I was writing this, without the Bacardi, or the Coke. Okay. Uh, I wasn't drinking anything. I was sweating. The kids were swimming. I'm like, I would rather be in there. <laughs> Seriously. But I was writing this, and, this, and three hours later, Sid texts me. An updating Graham. But here's what I wrote, okay? Here's an issue about ministry. You can figure that there's people out there. You may think it's obvious my role is to minister to God's people here, you guys. You think it'd be pretty obvious. Well, it seems pretty obvious now because you're sitting in front of me. But during the week, you know, it might not be so obvious because I have some primary tasks I have to do. I have to water the lawn. Okay, I've got to feed the kangaroos. Okay, make sure the drop bears don't land on my head. Okay, now look, I have some primary responsibilities. Prayer and the ministry of the word. For me to pray, I need to be away from you. Sorry. Okay, I just need some space to pray. Because if you're standing next to me, it's going to be pretty difficult to pray for you. And to study the word, I need even more distance from you. You try and read the Bible and study and write a sermon and read books. I mean, I don't know if you're aware of what I do. A lot of my job, I have to do a lot of reading. So if you see me reading a book, it's kind of what I'm working. If you see me praying, I'm working. I sometimes have to tell people on, on playgrounds who think I'm one of these terrible parents. 
you know, the kids are playing and I'm like, boom, 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 you know, and I can see some of them looking at me with their own phones in their own hands, you know. I'm like, hey, mate, I'm actually working. This is my job, you know. So the kids have to play by themselves so I can work. Whenever I've got my phone out, I'm working. So here's the point. Okay, that's what I do for a living. I read, write sermons, and pray. They're two key, key aspects of my work. And because of that, you guys are a real nuisance sometimes. And that's how it can be. That's how it can seem. You know, I'll give you an example. I wrote this before. Sid texts me. You know, you're, you're falling behind on your sermon. You've got to get it written. You know, you're not up to date with enough reading. And then a phone call comes through. Somebody in your congregation has taken ill. Well, you know what that means, don't you? You know what I did yesterday? When I, when I still had to finish my sermon? Sorry, Graham, you know, uh, this is if I'm embarrassing you. I had to drive nearly an hour for a 30-minute visit. It took me another hour to get to the room in such a big and complex hospital. And then an hour back. That's five hours of my study time gone down the drain because of him. And sometimes, uh, these, these are real situations. Sometimes, this is 1 a.m., Saturday night. I'm really on, you know, you know I've got to get this thing finished now, okay? okay I've got to get the last bits done. Okay, yeah, right? And then I get a phone call at 1 a.m. I'm like, come on, I've got to finish this <laughs> presentation. I, I end up, I end up, no, I, I think, I, first time I think I let it go, and then a text message. Can I speak to you now? What do you do when, when a member of your church wants to speak to you at 1 a.m.? I, I can't exactly say, can I? Well, actually, your time's up, buddy. I think I clocked over 6 o'clock. And so I'm on the phone for half an hour. And trying to make sure nobody else wakes up. And I'm too scared to go outside in, in, in case there's an animal waiting to eat me. You know. And you laugh. You don't know what lives up there. Hey. It can be, it's like that sometimes. It really is. And here's the issue, is that we can forget there's people out there. That the people I'm praying for, the people I'm writing a sermon for, are the people who need me to care for them in more than just preaching to them. Sometimes they just need you to go and sit down, take a call. Nick is always ringing at the most inconvenient times. You ask him, always like I'm driving at the moment. Let me pull over or something. I'll put my hands free on. But hey, people need to know. When you call me, you'll notice I always answer the call. Only if I've missed it because I'm in, you know, in a shower or something, I'll, I'll get back to you as soon as I'm out. Because, hey, you matter. Don't, don't, don't call some phrases like that. We mustn't forget that there's people out there. Hey, God never forgets there's people out there. He never forgets that you're out there. I'm going to fail you. You're going to ring me one time when I can't get to the phone or when I am too busy or when I've been frustrated with the last call, which is two hours, and I'm really not, not up for another, you know, another two-hour slog when I've got to write something down. But hey, God never has those moments. I had a Bible college lecturer, um, a wonderful gentleman, 
He was a pastor, invited to lecture on pastoral studies, ideal. And he didn't have the most interesting style, but you know, whenever he spoke, I was gripped to him. Gripped. Because he was so genuinely interested in people. One of my fellow students is always harassing him, but he said this to me. He goes, Mom says, you know, whenever I ring him, he, speak, he, he, lets, he lets me speak for hours. He goes, last time I asked him, to, you know, I said to him, I need to see you. He took me out golf all morning. Took the, took, the, took the morning off. Just so that we can spend four hours on the golf course, just so that he can talk to me. God is interested in the Ninevites. He sees them. He cares about them. More than that, he loves them. It's why he wants Jonah to go to them. Because this is a city that is very important to God. There are 120,000 adults in this city that are special to God, that matter to God, that mean something to God. I guess here's a question I'm asking. Look, to, drive, to get here, you have to drive up uh, Pecula Avenue, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Let me ask you this. As I, and I wrote this, and I still didn't do it coming here this morning. Okay? Have you ever driven up that, up that road and looked at, looked at the houses and prayed with some interest and concern for the people that live inside it? Have you ever driven up the street and noticed someone walking a dog or just out and about? I know that may not be doing that at 9 a.m. Uh, and just the Lord, have mercy on that man. Because that's how God looks at them. When he sees them, that's what he's thinking. Let me ask you this question. How do you think we manage to attain the use of this building? Was it that we happened to get in touch with them before any other church organisation had? Yes, that's true. Was it that they took an interest for whatever reason in our church when they had it in any other church? Seriously? Yeah? Or was it? Is it? Present tenses. Because God cares about those people here. That hope valley matters to God. That he knows exactly how many people that are here, adults and kids, and their pets, going on Jonah 4, so long as they're horses, obviously, or cows. He likes cattle. But God cares. I think that's the point. The reason we're here is that God sees those people. He cares about those people. I think we could write this over Hope Valley from God's perspective. Hope Valley is a very important suburb to me, says God. It's why we're here. I always encourage you, you know I do, to to read the Gospels. Whatever reading you do, be sure to read the Gospels because you need to see Jesus. If you're going to be in love with Jesus and if you're going to worship him and follow him and give him your life, you need to watch him, look, look at him, be with him. 
And there's no better books in all of the Bible to be with Jesus and the ones that are directly, they are, they're not quite autobiographies, but they are biographies of his life. The reason God has given us four of them, because I think he's trying to tell us something. You know, when you say something to your kids four times, that means, if you're a parent, you've only just started. You've got to tell them ten before it happens. But it means this, doesn't it? It means that this is important. Here's Jesus. Here's Jesus. Here's Jesus. Here's Jesus. Get the message? Okay? There's four of them, which means, of all the books I read in the Bible, I have to read them four times more. And make sure God, that we do read them four times more. He gave us four of them, because he knew we wouldn't do it. And so, here's what you see about Jesus. When you watch him, just watch him. I have sent this to somebody in the meetings recently. Just watch Jesus. And we watch movies. That's great if you like doing that. Watch TV, whatever. Hey, look, just watch Jesus. If, if you need it done visually, put on a video. There's loads of good Jesus videos out there. And don't tell me they're all rubbish. That's rubbish. They're not all rubbish. Then they may not all be perfect. But who's going to get a perfect? Who's going to capture the life of Jesus perfectly? I used to get some ridiculous excuses back in the UK about why we shouldn't watch Jesus movies especially by the cross, because it fails to capture the, signif- the, 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 the wonder of the cross. Yeah? Of course it does. Who could possibly capture that? But at least it gives you an essence of what it was about, doesn't it? Watch the movies if you need to see it. But if you can imagine, and we're losing the art of imagining, aren't we? If you can imagine, imagine this. Watch him. Remember the fight, when he fed the 5,000? a lot more because they were just the men they only counted the men weird society they only counted men there was a lot more people there maybe 20,000 here's what he's what he's what he's what he said when he saw the crowd Jesus called his disciples to him and said oh I'm forgetting I'm not putting my text up someone turn to this with you it's the first book of the new testament you can't miss it you can't miss it the first book of the new testament chapter 15 okay Verse 32. You got it? Matthew chapter 15, verse 32. Someone read it out to me, would you mind? Just shout it out and I'll repeat it for the sake of the camera. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and I have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. Thanks, Nikki. I have compassion for these people. Let me ask you, how many disciples did Jesus have at that time? Twelve. How many of them were even thinking the smallest thoughts about, I wonder if they're hungry now. I wonder if they're okay. Do you think any one of them was even thinking that? I doubt it. Look at Jesus. He looks at a people, and this is how he sees you. You want to know how Jesus sees you? Okay? This is how he looks at you. Answer to that question on that Instagram video, Katie, about God. This is how God looks at you. Okay? I have compassion for these people. Let me ask you, were they all angels? They're rebels, all of them. And I know that. You know, the only reason they're following Jesus? Because they want something from him. In fact, he says so afterwards. He goes, I know why you're following me. You know, you just want something from me. Okay? And yet, when he looks at them, he has compassion for these people. 
Christian. And look, I haven't got time, but no matter how many glimpses of Jesus you get, that's what you see. That he has, that he sees people, that he notices people, that he hears people. Peter, just so happened he spoke in 1 Corinthians 13 last week, didn't he? These words fit perfectly with what we're saying today. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm just a sound. If I have the gift of prophecy, the most desirable of all gifts, okay, but have not love, you know, I'm nothing. If I, if I give everything I have, if I give as much charity, to charity as I possibly could, but have not love, I am nothing. Hey, Christian, here's a prayer for 2023. God, fill me with love for these people. Because they matter to you. I'm sorry they don't matter to me, but please make them matter to me like they matter to you. God sends Jonah to Nineveh because these people matter to him. And here's the thing about Nineveh. I'm going to probably deal with this more later on when we come to it. Okay. God saves these Ninevites. Within a couple of generations, what happens to them? Does anybody know what happens to them in a couple of generations? They get wiped out. Seriously. And then you're thinking, what was all the fuss about? Why did he bother? I'll tell you why they bothered. Because of the generation that Jonah went, it changed their lives. Hey, we can't always forecast or ensure, you know, something great is going to come of our engagement with our community. I know I was talking to Matt about this this morning. You know, so, you know, we can take somebody out, and I'll do this you know, with you guys, as you know, but, you know. But if somebody new comes in, I'll take them out. We'll go meet them for lunch or something. What I have to be sure to do is that I spend that time with them, taking an interest in them, without trying to force Living Word Bible Church down their throats. And here's the reality, friends. In our relationship with this community here, it doesn't always have to lead to them signing the names on a dotted line and joining the membership and tithing every week and joining the IT roster. It's okay if in our engagement with them we don't even mention the name of Jesus. They're going to shoot me now, aren't you? That we just love them. That we just spend some quality time with our, with our neighbours and our community and just show them that we're the type of people that care for people like them. You know, my, you know the, the, the second church I pastored back in the UK it was full of gypsies. I don't know if you know who gypsies are. You know, they're travellers. Travel living caravans. People living caravans. Seriously, what is the world coming to? You know, I had a horde of them in that church. You know, boy, one came. Okay, to spy out the land. Okay. And in no time at all, there was a flooding in. You know, another family, another family, another family. Okay. Why do you think they did that? Because, you showed them you because they found the church, okay, that actually valued them, cared for them. Wasn't mocking them. Do you know gypsies in the UK have got a terrible reputation? And in some churches, they'd be, they'd be thinking, what are they doing here? 
Seriously. But I found a church here and then began flocking to it because they felt wanted, cared for, loved. Hey, do you know sometimes, Christian, just love them. Leave your Bible in your pocket or the olive oil, you know, you have to zap them in the forehead with the oil and just, just love them. Just love them. I think that's what God is calling us to do, to make our presence felt in our community, to show that community that we love them. Secondly, secondly, okay, there's, this is a smaller point. There's hope for the Ninevites in Jonah's sermon. Now you're going to think, you know, the first one, you know, where did you get that from? But where did I get this second one from? There's hope for the Ninevites in Jonah's sermon. Now, have you got three and four open before you? Okay. Can you see some hope there? <laughs> because I couldn't. It took me some reading to find this hope. Can you see any hope in Jonah's sermon? Because what does he preach to them? What does he say to them? Days You're up. dead. <laughs> Zap. Gone. There's, there's no hope. And that, yet there is. There is. And I want to just show you. And it's incredible that, that it's there. First of all, look, verse 3. Someone read verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Thank you. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Thank you. Jo Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to, Gen to, Gen to Nineveh. Okay, again there, the way the Hebrews constructed there, it took Jonah a massive, massive force for him to go. Even the second time, we imagine, don't we? The word of the Lord came and Jonah, I'm off! Okay? No, no. The emphasis here is that even now, it took a, a real pulling, you know, a strain to move him. But nevertheless, he went. And it was some distance. Look, it's, it's, it's I'm mean, doing a translation. It's 800 kilometers, okay? Okay? As a crow flies. But no one travels as a crow flies, do they? It was about 1,600 kilometers. That was an arduous journey. It probably took him at least a month to get there. So this is a massive, massive thing. He finally gets there, and then we have these words that, that we looked at earlier. Now, um, Nineveh was a great city, uh, but these words in verse 4. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. We told it takes three days to, to tour the city. What he meant, what we think it means is it takes three days, excuse me, to stop at every, every, every uh, significant gathering okay if you want to communicate in the in olden days to a city you normally went to particular squares where people gathered and it seems it, it would take you three days to go to each of the significant places in Nineveh Jonah is there and so on, on the first of the three-day preaching tour okay he proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned and here's the thing here's the thing Okay, we've already said it's been difficult for him to get himself going, but then when he gets going, 
we're not sure exactly what message God has given him. Remember, he says, I will tell you what to say. But we're assuming it's along these lines because Jonah preaches 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And that, it's that word overturned. It sounds like, and it can mean, I mean what does it sound like? Um, you haven't got, sorry, you've got, your, look, you've, got your, you've got your Bibles open there. I'm still readjusting to how I used to preach here. Okay, you've got, you've got verse 4 there, overturn. Uh, any other words? Uh, overthrown? you got overthrown. Anybody else? Anybody else got anything different? Overturn, overthrown. Is it a different translation? Any stronger? Okay, yes, some, some have destroyed. They do see. Thank you. Okay. Okay, he, the Hebrew word, okay, is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, I think I've got a quote there, Charlie. It's, it's, it's the Hebrew word, hathach, okay? And here's what it means, okay? It, it can mean to turn over, to destroy, okay, as in the case of Sodom. Or it can mean turn around, bring to repentance. That's what repentance is, is a, is a U-turn, okay? Hathach, okay, therefore refers either to evil, catastrophic destruction, or to live new structures of a repentant life. John preaches an ambiguous sermon. Why do you think he would preach an ambiguous sermon? Remember, God's going to tell him what to preach. He now preaches, and he preaches an ambiguous sermon. Why do you, why do you think he does that? What does he want? Yeah, God wants to give them an opportunity. John, what does John want for them? He wants them to die. So it seems almost as though he, he, he does what God wants him to do, but he does his best to make sure they don't quite hear what God wants them to do. You see what I'm saying? Okay, it's almost, it's, it's almost as though he's preaching in riddles because he doesn't, John doesn't want them to hear God wants them to repent. The gods. Yeah. yeah, it's possible, Yvonne. It's possible, except he tells us later he knew that was. A, he tells us in. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good theory. But no, but he, he does. He tells us himself. He he he, he shows us. He, he reveals himself. He goes. I knew God what you were going to do before I went. That's why I didn't want to go. No, he knows exactly what God's going to do, Yvonne. That's the issue here. That's why he didn't want to go. That's why even the second time, it's a, you know, a, 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 you know, difficult for him to get there. So for whatever reason, Jonah seems to make it difficult. But, but the message he does preach to them gives these people hope. You see, it can mean God's going to destroy you. Here's what it means: unless you change your ways. That's what the message is. That's what it's meant to say, however much he clouded it, what God wanted him to do. Unless you change your ways, God's going to destroy you. That's how they read it. That's why the fasting went on. Because, look, back in that day, you had, this is what the word propitiation means, and, and some Bible translators dislike the word because it means it's taken from a, a pagan idolatry where the gods were angry with you, so they were withholding the reins, so you offered the sacrifice so that you could propitiate the gods. So you could appease their wrath. And it's what the Ninevites understand here, that in, in, their, in their primitive life, if you like, they understand that this God, according to this sermon, can be 
propitiated. That's hope. And it leads to, we're going to see later, this, this massive, massive movement towards appeasing God. Jonah's message was a message of hope. Hey, and here's a question I want to ask us. Do we give hope to people? You ever see how I used to do evangelism when I was 16? Boy, you, I used to want to be in the ministry when I was 16. If you think I'm bad now, you should, you, you, you should be glad you didn't get me when I was 16. You know how I used to preach the gospel? I, I, I remember doing this specific thing once. I'd just come out of work, okay, and, I, and I had this thing. If I, if I saw somebody, I had to go and give them the gospel. I couldn't help myself. Even if it meant I ran to catch him up. But you can imagine how this looks. You're you just having your quiet walk, and this kid is running after you. You know, you know. What would you do? You'd probably run, wouldn't you, if you've got any sense? I'd, I'd run up to people, okay? I just want to tell you. <laughs> you think I'd tell them something worthwhile listening to. You know what? If you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. Seriously, I'm not joking. That's how I got this job. You're <laughs> not Hey. You know, when we preach Jesus... We have to give people hope. A message of hope. Why did Jesus come into our world? To give us hope. It's what Jonah does in his messed up way. It's something that we're called to do. Is to give people hope. To sit with somebody and say, hey, there's hope. You know, of all of the qualities of life that we can be robbed of, and there's, there's research done on this, nothing impacts our well-being more than losing hope. It's the most powerful thing you can give a human, is hope. Jonah's message, understood aright, gave the Ninevites hope. Hey, may we, in our engagement with our world, in speaking Jesus, in ministering to people, give hope. It's why, you know, in terminal cases, you know, Hey, you know when someone's got cancer? You know, whether, why do we pray? Because we, because we want to, we want to extend hope. That's a good thing to do. And we're not to sit there calculating, does God want to heal this man? Is this healing going to take place? Does he have enough faith? Is there sin in his life? You know, I saw somebody, excuse me, and I'm really upset about it. I went to hospital in Australia with somebody, and they were about to pray for him. And you know what they said to him? And I was quite offended by it. You know, uh, you know have you got sin in your life? Like, like, we were ever good enough to get something from God. Of course he's got sin in his life. He's a human. And so have you. That you're the one who's praying for him. You've got sin in your life. Please don't ever judge somebody, you know, based on what they're experiencing, on how good they are. 
Because if we're doing that, you'll condemn the first one. Okay? And me. Hey, now, you know when, when someone's got cancer, you know what we do? We preach a message of hope. Do you know what the Bible says about children and their eternal destiny isn't 100% clear in the Bible. I haven't got time to deal with it now, okay? It's not 100% clear. You know, when I'm counselling, when I'm speaking to someone who's just lost a child, okay, I give them hope. Hope. When someone's been buried, do you know, this happened with Princess Diana. And a church that I, was, that I knew, that I attended, got into trouble. They were on the news. They were on the international news because they said Diana's gone to hell. How dare we make those judgments? Who are we to determine exactly what took place between a soul and God, even in their final moments? Let me tell you, let me ask you, how many people, how many people knew that that second thief on the cross went to hell as well as the first? How many people knew that happened? All of them. But it wasn't real, was it? Hey, we give people hope. You know, you know, you know when I take the funeral of unbelievers? I give them hope. That even in their last moments, they may have had an encounter with God. And he called them to faith and repentance. Because he did it with a thief on the cross. God can do that in the final moments of somebody. So don't ever give up hope. However far that person is from God, don't give up hope. And impart hope. Hey, hey. I want to leave you there. Verse 4. On the first day, Jonah started in the city. He proclaimed 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. Jonah proclaimed a message of hope. In 40 more days, God will call you to account and he'll want to know what you have done with your life. That's a message of hope. May we preach here, may we love people and may God fill us with such love. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, Lord, but for the grace of God, go I. We can all say that. I thank you, Lord, that there was somebody who preached the message of hope to me, who showed me loving interest. Oh, that I and we collectively may be empowered to love this community around us, to care for them, to extend a gesture of friendship and interest and win them to Jesus by our loving interest in them. And help us and teach us that in whatever conversations we have and opportunities we have to speak about Jesus, that we may impart both the savour of loving interest in them, but that we may impart a message of hope wherever we go. In Jesus' name. Living Word Bible Church, teaching the Bible verse by verse.